this is really important. I, th I think we'll, we'll go into it more in the webinar as well, but the element of customer choice here, as I say, transmission customers have tech. Um, and ultimately, if you request a firm connection from National Grid, National Grid are obliged to, to provide that firm connection. Um, if National Grid determine it's not economic for them to do so, there are some mechanisms in the grid code um, and in CUSC for them to decide that perhaps some intertrips are required. But if it's being driven by, by that kind of decision from them, that it's not economic for the wider system, um, then the category designation of those intertrips will be different. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Welcome to the Connectology podcast. I'm Pete Aston and I'm joined by Catherine Cleary and Philip Bale and we're going to do a quick intro into a webinar we're running in the middle of September, which will be all about understanding outage risks for transmission connections. So Philip and I are going to be running a webinar tomorrow, um, from the day of recording anyway, on outage risks for DNO connections. Um, so hopefully that will already be out there um, for you to listen to. But this one's going to be all about transmission outage risks. So welcome, Philip and Catherine. Morning, Pete. Hi, Pete. Brilliant. Okay, so this is just a teaser for our webinar that's going to be out in September. So we hope you sort of listen to this, get excited about it and come and join to our webinar. So, Catherine, how can there be any outage risk at transmission? Isn't the transmission network so secure that you can never have an outage risk on the transmission system? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think... Uh... There is a really key difference between the transmission system that was designed for large scale power stations, um, you know, that are historically connected to it and the, the kind of diverse, uh, geographically diverse renewables that are connected to it today. There always has been an underlying principle that the transmission system has to be economically designed. So it is not worth the cost to you know, GB consumers to make sure that every generator has firm access from day one. So connect and manage, which people have heard about for so long, effectively uh, mandates, you know, connecting people as quickly as possible um, and then designing the most economically efficient uh, transmission system to be able to deal with that. Um, so that might still involve there being some constraints. So generator constraints, curtailment actions on the transmission system have been around for a really long time. The key to understand is, is your kind of constraint compensated or is it not? Because there's a big difference between being a wind farm who's going to be paid to turn off um, versus, you know, perhaps it being a battery that's just being told, sorry, you can't you can't operate at this time. You're you know, you have no import, no export. And that's uncompensated constraints. So. OK, and explain how that might look different. So if you're a distribution connected customer, you're going to be impacted by transmission constraints differently than if you're a transmission connected customer. Can you just sort of briefly talk us through what it, how it might look different, you know, as a generic pool of distribution customers? Yeah, so I suppose that the kind of key difference is that the contractual arrangements at transmission are very clear. So a transmission generator has tech um, and tech gives you that clear commercial right to export onto the network. Um, so if you have tech, the only ways that you can be constrained off are either um, by the system operator taking a balancing action, so that's a compensated mechanism which you would volunteer for, um, or if there are conditions in your in your bilateral agreements, um, so restrictions on availability, intertrips, um, but those non-firm conditions uh, which say actually you have tech unless the following scenarios occur. 
distribution customers don't have tech. So they do not have an enduring right to export onto the transmission system. So distribution customers are actually, you know, potentially open to all sorts of other mm. risks. And I guess the, most of the distribution customers out there never see any outages in relation to transmission outages, do they? Because if you're a domestic customer, most of the time, you know, transmission outages don't affect you. I think this comes back to, as Catherine said earlier, that historically the transmission system, very big generators, high amounts of utilisation on the system for long periods of time. As we get more intermittent generation connected to the network, there's going to have to be higher numbers of those generators in multiple different parts of the country. It makes it a significantly different challenge to operate. So historically, embedded customers probably won't have seen those risks. In the future, things are likely going to change. Yeah, The, the, the time I can remember recently when a lot of distribution connect customers were affected by the transmission system was... Uh, 9th of August 2019, Yes, <laughs> <laughs> when there was a widespread uh, uh, blackout, if I was going to be a Daily Mail, um, or the Times, it was a, a power outage <laughs> across quite a few million customers, wasn't it? Um, Several of which were train operating companies, and yeah. that was one of the big problems. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's very unusual that large blocks of distribution customers are affected by transmission outages. But um, but yeah, in in this new world of lots of generation schemes, uh, distribution and transmission, we we're going to see a lot more of uh, impacts from transmission outages on on transmission customers. I think the key thing that's interesting there was that was an example where things went wrong. There was cascade failures. There was a series of events that happened that caused things to happen. What's interesting for transmission connections going forwards is this is people volunteering in the future of having connections where they will be interrupted and obviously the key thing there is to try and understand for all customers that are connected what's their level of risk yeah so philip just picking up on that what are some of the really significant transmission outages outage risks you've seen recently when sort of assessing transmission connection offers and, and similar so some of the most significant I've seen are up in Scotland, where there are high numbers of intertrips, where you'll see customers that have intertrips on SGTs, on circuits, on the interface between the 132 and the 33 kV networks. And they are really long and complicated and really hard to get their head around. Historically, there have been uh, intertrips that people have had on a temporary nature to get them connected quicker, and then that started to go away. I think we'll start to see it come back much more frequently, especially as we get on to non-firm access that I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit more going forward. On some of those intertrips you're talking about, are they are they all compensated or are they some of them uncompensated? The vast majority where we see at the moment, where we're looking at, are the uncompensated ones, which then makes it much more challenging for the customer to try and understand the economic impacts of them over a life of a project and how that could end up changing, some of which will be influenced by things that you would ultimately need a crystal ball to really understand. Mm. But C Catherine, just picking up on the sort of, I think you mentioned it earlier, has this changed recently? Because, you know, if I'm looking, if we're looking at all of like the existing gas, coal, nuclear, you know, existing offshore wind schemes, are they are they all sitting there on significant uncompensated outage risks? No, this is really important. I, th I think we'll, we'll go into it more in the webinar as well. But the element of customer choice here, 
as I say, transmission customers have tech. Um, and ultimately, if you request a firm connection from National Grid, National Grid are obliged to, to provide that firm connection. Um, if National Grid determine it's not economic for them to do so, there are some mechanisms in the grid code um, and in CUSC for them to decide that perhaps some intertrips are required. But if it's being driven by, by that kind of decision from them, that it's not economic for the wider system, um, then the category designation of those intertrips would be different. So uh, most people are probably familiar with category Category one into trips, which is where a, a user um, says, "I'm, you know, I want to get on as soon as possible. I'm happy to have that non-firm risk and be uncompensated." Um, an example of a category two into trip would be where you hadn't asked for that. You said you wanted a firm connection, but Grid said it wasn't worth building. You know, perhaps a very significant reinforcement. So they will into trip you a couple of times a year, um, but you will be compensated for that. Um, so the compensation uh, kind of question is is really important to understand. Um, and, and historically in the past, generators would not have accepted non-firm access to the transmission system because it, it wasn't in their interest to do so. Um, nowadays, I think, you know, the thing which has changed is the time frame issue. If, if you ask for firm access, you know, you are facing 2037 connection dates these days. And in addition to that, the challenge is that if you want firm access, often you can have very significant securities and liabilities. The cash flow perspective can be huge. So it's it's two element, mainly on the uh, the timescale perspective of you're looking at much longer connection dates. But also, even if you're going to build a scheme, it's serious amounts of money that are required for some of these very significant rebuilds. The other thing to, for people to be aware of is that there are some types of design of connection which are fundamentally non-firm so you might not have you know thought i'm actively asking for a non-firm connection but if you apply for things like a tertiary winding connection you know it is non-firm it's it's a, a design variation it doesn't meet the sqss um security of supply requirements similarly actually you know if you have people in scotland might be familiar with this um but where you have a connection site and you're going to have a, an overhead line or a circuit cable back to um, the transmission substation, that circuit will be adopted by the TO. And ultimately, uh, that is a non-firm connection. A single circuit variation is a, is a design variation. So there will be specific sort of site-specific cases um, where you have to accept some level of, uh, of design variation, um, which has a restriction on availability. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. So will I be correct in saying then, Catherine, that there's not much experience of these non-firm connections out there at the moment from a transmission point of view? Uh, absolutely. And I think both Enger and Engesso and the other TOs um, would, would all probably agree that the really extensive restrictions on availability, so if you've got a transmission agreement, things that you're seeing in, in your Appendix D are relatively unprecedented and we don't have connected schemes which see that volume of, of constraints. So there's much more work you know, being done by, by consumers trying to understand what that looks like for their specific project. You know, if you have 10 restrictions on availability, actually understanding, you know, that restriction probably just says something like you may be constrained down to zero megawatts, you know, understanding operationally once you're constructed, 
whether zero megawatts is a likely threshold or actually whether there are some other kind of key step change thresholds in your generation output that might be sensible to discuss with the TO. Um, you know, all of that's quite a detailed piece of work that's going to need to be done for each site. Hmm. And I guess, Philip, we've got the um, the, the non-firm connections coming soon for the battery schemes as uh, following on the back of the uh, ESO's sort of five-point plan and changes to construction planning assumptions. That, that could add in loads more non-firm connections for customers who don't necessarily know what the impact's going to be. I think ultimately, um, when it comes to intertrips, we're also not saying they're necessarily a bad thing. There are going to be times where the opportunity of getting on much sooner could actually be a very low risk. And obviously, ultimately, especially with the battery connections, looking at an early connection date, the key thing for them to work out is, does this impact on my viability of a scheme? Will the intertrips only occur at times where my revenue streams will be low and where I can afford not to? What's the likelihood, the duration, the impacts of it? When am I going to be notified about these? And obviously understanding whether those intertrips are going to be around planned events, whether it's going to be around unplanned events, and ultimately what that means for the system overall. And I think, Catherine, that at distribution level, these sort of non-firm connections have been a bit more of a thing recently i think at distribution level the the dnos understand it reasonably well uh i think the customers understand it reasonably well and there's various forms of data <laughs> that yeah. are exchanged but at transmission is there any data available for customers to actually do this assessment so at transmission, what you're not going to get is that sort of curtailment report. So you're not going to get someone who says, you know, your site's going to be curtailed 8% of the year. You know, so that kind of quite simplistic analysis that's perhaps suitable for presenting to an investor is not available from from from, you know, from Engesso or, or from the TOs. What you can get is the background data. So you can you can ask for things like the historic data on either five to 10 years um, worth of historic operation of the assets in question. But that probably does need quite a lot of um, expertise then applied to actually understand how that affects you. You know, so the complexity factors involved in the recent offers that have had these really significant volumes of restrictions availability are, are quite significant. And I think also what comes with those is that you can get the data, but often not before you're able to accept. So obviously you are tending to apply for these schemes, see your long list of intertrips, accept the schemes and then work on them, de-risking them, some of which will also have significant securities and liabilities during that time which ultimately makes it a lot more complicated. I mean, I, th I think I, I would actually point out one thing, which is that perhaps not a very well publicised fact, but if you have accepted a design variation in, in, in your application, you've basically said, I'm, I'm happy for this to be non-firm. Um, there's a box you can tick in the application to say, but I need you to give me the data you have on the likelihood of those, those restrictions on availability being incurred. So I would absolutely make sure that people do tick that box and and and, and are aware that actually NGESO should be providing that data with your offer. Um, so as I say, it's 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 generally speaking 10 years of historic data, though um, one of the Scottish TOs has a, has a slightly shorter reporting period. And then I, I know we've had this conversation, Catherine, about a few restrictions. So how far back into the transmission system should the TOs be providing these non-firm connections for so you know at some point further back into the system they shouldn't be treating you as non-firm they should just be reinforcing the network so any thoughts as to you know where that boundary lies yeah i mean I, i'm you know i'd be happy to debate this with with others but um i think my, my view is that you know 
actually it's quite clear in sort of uh, SQSS terms that effectively it is, you know, once you're at the main interconnected transmission system, if you have asked for a firm connection and, you know, unless you have stipulated that you are happy for there to be a specific intertrip, then you should be being offered a firm connection. So any intertrips that you have should now be category two intertrips, you know, so I think that's that's probably something to pick up on a webinar because we can maybe go through some examples. I think the other thing to look at from the webinar perspective is just because something historically was a specific way doesn't necessarily mean being that way in the future. And that's where you need to look at the data very carefully, look at the network and try and work out what the future might entail for the duration that you've got that inter-trip requirement for your system and ultimately what that impact might have on the business case. It is not beyond the capability of the TOs to be able to provide a forecast of transmission outages. Um, so this is the kind of gold standard is to be able to have you know 10 years worth of historic data. And then, you know, particularly where you have an interim period of non-firm operation with, with a, a, a list of restrictions for that interim period, you know, if that's five years, uh, to actually be saying to the TO, what are you forecasting in the next five years? You know, because they will know, you know, they will know if they are planning to, you know, to upgrade those circuits and connect new customers onto them. So, um, yeah, there's a bit more kind of digging that you could do. Whereas at distribution that, you know, that is much harder because the timeframes for planning are shorter. Yeah. So, Philip, do you think, that, have, have you got any sort of key messages in terms of risk that, um sort of customers should be looking at? I think the key thing is to, first of all, look at your offer and understand whether you're compensated or uncompensated. Try and work out the duration, understand what could happen to those networks in the future, trying to work out the business case. As has been mentioned, there is data that's available, but it's backward looking. And I think there does need to be a big piece of work done on trying to help people understand whilst the non-firm connections are better known at the distribution world that also still doesn't mean that some customers have been bitten from those issues and seen Mm. far higher levels of curtailment from abnormal running than they ever expected there to be and i think there's going to need to be an element from transmission perspective to understand what impact does it have on the revenue stream can you live with it and then try and understand how we can make this work as a system because ultimately the benefit for GBPLC is having well-known, effective economic systems where are sensible levels of risk. And I think the key thing is people need to understand the levels of risk that they're signing themselves up to and not damage the system by having people being compensated or being constrained uncompensated for too long. So, C- Catherine, is it is it just about understanding the level of risk or are there things that can be done to improve it as well yeah i i think actually a lot of the case at the moment perhaps some of the offers that are coming out are i mean it's definitely going to be the case with some of the sort of stage one indicative offers um you know but they are effectively a sort of starting point for the design they may not commercially represent exactly what you applied for so actually challenging whether those restrictions on availability are necessary on an enduring basis that's probably the most important thing for people to be doing you know if you are accepting a non-firm connection is there a reason why um you know and actually Perhaps it's just that you're happy to accept that non-firm connection on a temporary basis, um, but at some point those reinforcement works will be done um, or derogated, in which case you know it should move to being a category two intertrip. So, so actually, kind of challenging the commercials in the offer uh, really important. Um, and then, yeah, I think um, probably as I say, that kind of operational learning, which will which will happen once projects are connected. But you know, this is a 
a, a smaller pool of customers that you've got, you know, you've got a control center dealing with a, a smaller number of generators connected to the transmission system compared with the distribution system. Um, National Grid are very good from an operational perspective. Um, really recommend customers who've got schemes that are about to be energized, you know, start doing things like attending operational forums and getting to know that process um, and the control system team so that actually, you know, you're able to do things like work out whether maybe you don't need to be constrained down to zero. Um, and there are some real wins that, that can come from sort of positive engagement there. Okay, so I think that's probably all we need to say for now. Uh, so we've got the webinar coming up in September, but any last thoughts, Philip and Catherine, anything burning that you've not said that you want to say, or are you going to leave it all for the webinar? I think the other thing that I'd like to hear from the webinar is trying to understand the levels of risk that National Grid should take on. Obviously, if they're too conservative, then people will be constrained down, tripped off for longer periods of time. If they push the margins a little bit more, then more people will be on for longer and trying to work out that balance between how much risk they take on, how much complexity gets designed into the system, which then means that schemes can be accelerated earlier. It's a very fine balance that ultimately, if it goes wrong, no one will thank them. So I do think they have a very difficult job to do. Yeah, undoubtedly, it's a difficult time for National Grid in the transmission world. Um, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, Philip and Catherine. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening as well. And uh, we hope you join us for the webinar uh, on understanding outage risks for transmission in September. Uh, and we do hope you listen to our next podcast. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk, link in the description, where you can also sign up to our free Connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections. If, during this podcast, you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a Road Knight Taylor connectologist in your life, please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too.